So this morning we are talking about don't feed the snakes. Don't feed the snakes. Just bow your head with me this morning. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here. Father, your spirit has been evident. It's been palpable. And Father, we just want you to do what you need to do in our lives, God. Father, change our hearts. Change our minds this morning. Father, give us a spirit of revelation, God, to receive this word. God, don't let the enemy take this word away. Father, don't let the enemy take this word from our hearts, God. But let it be planted on fertile soil in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you could follow along on the screen. You can pull up your iPad, your tablet, your Bible. Uh, But we're reading on the fall of man. And so Genesis is one of the books that's dear to me. I've been studying Genesis since I was about 15 years old. And so this message can go about 20 different ways, from the garden to the tree to the messianic prophecy. So um, I'm also praying that I stay on track. For those of you that know how I teach, I can go on a rabbit trail. So Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, this is known as the fall of man. And so it starts like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say? I want you to note that. That is the first first mention of the devil using doubt with mankind. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? There is deception. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I'm going to tell you, if you go back and read Genesis 2, that's not actually what God said. God didn't say you couldn't touch the tree. He said you couldn't eat from the tree. So there's another lie. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There's pride. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, there's temptation. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was where? So the man was with the woman the whole time. She was having this conversation with the serpent. And he ate it. So here's a a quick conclusion about that. Woman fell, the, the woman fell and the man jumped. Okay, that is the fall of man. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. Can I just tell you what that means? That means they realized that God was holy and that they weren't. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and, that, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, I think Blink-182 later coined that song, where are you? Do you think God knew where they were, by the way? He knew. 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam was exposed. He wasn't naked. His shame was exposed. Disobedience. He, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you have gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Notice he didn't blame the serpent, he blamed the the spouse. Men take notes. We need to blame the enemy, it's not your spouse. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I want you to pay attention to these next verses. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go. And dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, because he'd done this, I'm going to make it hurt when you actually have a baby. So unfortunately, women, you have to thank Hava, Eve, your grand-grand-grand-grandmother for this. He said, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. Verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And listen to this. Till you return to the ground. For out of it, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And you shall return to dust. Or in other words. And to dust you shall return. I know it's a lot. We just read 19 verses and it's 1045 in the morning. I'm sorry that we're reading God's word this morning, but we have to go somewhere with this. I'm, I've always read this messianic passage. This passage is about Jesus and what he would do for us. But I'm here to tell you that if you don't understand Genesis chapter 3, then you can't understand what the gospel fully means. If you can't understand Genesis chapter 3, then you can't read through Revelation and know what the allegory or the pictures and symbolism actually are. You need to understand Genesis 3 to know where we're going. You need to understand Genesis 3 to understand what Jesus did for us. And so if you read through the Bible, you'll find out that it's a story of God the Creator wanting a relationship with His creation. It's just that simple. God wants to dwell with his people, and it's up to his people to decide if they want God to dwell with them. And so in this season of warfare, I want you to get one thing straight, your identity in God, your identity in God. I know we said warfare, and this is the word of the year, and some of you guys took out a large sword, and you're swinging it all over, and you're cutting people that don't need to be cut. But let me tell you, your identity, first and foremost, is a son and daughter of God. Secondly, you're a servant of the Lord. And then you could call yourself a warrior, a soldier, a vigilante, whatever you want afterward. But you need to know your identity. Otherwise, you're fighting for victory instead of from victory. 
So we need to get that straight before we walk into this, this season of warfare. Let me make another point. We serve because we are sons of God. We're not sons of God because we serve. We need to understand that before going into this season that it's not what we do that makes us sons of God. We couldn't have done anything. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. So we inherited righteousness through Jesus, and now we have been adopted, and now we are called sons and daughters of God. Are you with me this morning? I'm going somewhere with this. So our purpose this season is not to defend God. The kingdom of God does not need defending. God is the defender. I said God is a defender. And so when we understand that, we know we do what he says for us to do when he asks us to do it. If it's to stand firm, it's to stand firm. If it's to fight, it's to fight. But we need to understand we fight in the spirit and not in the flesh. See, some of us get tired and burned out because we're doing it on our flesh instead of doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, I'm going to repeat my sermon title again, Don't Feed the Snakes. Why don't you look at someone next to you and say, Don't Feed the Snakes. If you're sitting behind someone, slap them. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Tell them, Don't Feed the Snakes. This first point I'm going to make is so profound, it will change your life. Point number one, we are dust. (laughs) I'm joking, obviously. But we are dust. We are dust. We just read it in Genesis chapter 3. If you read Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed his ruach, his breath, his spirit into that piece of dirt and created a living being. We are dust, but we also have a spirit living inside of us. Let me tell you, if we understand that we need to live for the spirit person instead of the fleshly person, this year's going to look a lot different. Because this flesh is going to, it's going to go away, but the spirit is going to keep living on. Your soul's going to keep living on. So when we understand that we are dust and we are holding a spirit inside of us, a lot of things change. You know, I I could go uh, very much deep into this, but did you know that we share the same attributes as planet Earth does? I mean, scientifically, you could go and look. Things like calcium, potassium, magnesium, we're about 70% made of water just like planet Earth is. Is Is that a coincidence? Do you think that Moses got this revelation of Genesis chapter 2? And he was just making stuff up. This was a direct download from God. So we are spiritual beings living inside of dust vessels. Why is that important to know? Because since the fall of man, we're fighting this war. The war that we can be influenced by the spirit of God or the spirit of the world. We could live in a spirit of obedience or in a spirit of disobedience. That is the war. That is a war. To either obey what God's asking us to do or to disobey and have to learn the hard way. Are you guys thankful for second, third, fourth chances from God? Amen. I am too. But it would be better a lot of times if we just did it right the first time. 
And so we are spiritual beings living inside of dust vessels. Look what Psalms 90 verse 1 through 3 says. This is called a prayer for Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and or you had ever formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. You return man to dust. Look at Psalms 103, verse 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who what? Who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are, say it, we are, one last one here, there's many that you could look up, Psalms 104, verse 29 and 30, this is the psalmist talking about how great God is and his creation that he has, that he's created, when you hide your face, they are dismayed, when you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. It's a cycle, right? It's a cycle of dirt catching breath, catching the Lord's spirit inside of them and becoming a living being. So now we got that ironed out. I didn't have to really convince you that we are dust. Some of you have known that, but it, you need that key to know where we're going. Now here's a question that we always ask reading Genesis 3. Did serpents have legs? Has anyone been to a zoo here and seen a snake walking around with legs before? Nobody? Okay. Well, believe it or not, there's actually over 60 fossils that have been found around the world that are actual serpent fossils with hind legs. And they have some photos of this that they could share. But these are photos of fossils with hind legs, and they found some even near Jerusalem. And you could see it for yourself. I don't have to say anything more than that. But I find it interesting that these are fossilized serpents with hind legs. And now today, you cannot find a serpent with hind legs. Could Genesis 3 be pretty accurate that we are dust and that serpents had legs? It could be. We're going somewhere. Here's another question for you. Do snakes eat dust? And if so, why? I've never seen someone go to PetSmart and say, do you have any dust for my snake? He's hungry. I want some really bad West Texas dust. I mean, you just have to walk outside and you get that every day. For free, exactly. Free 99. I want to show you this video. I'm sorry if you guys are squeamish with serpents and snakes, but I want to show you the process of what snakes do when they eat dust and they have a video hopefully there you go there's the tongue he's tasting the dust he's licking it up and he deposits it inside that organ that gland there was a scientist a surgeon from Denmark his last name was Jacobson and he discovered that humans and some animals have this thing called a Jacobson's gland an organ it was named after him and that animals use that to test what is around them 
to decide how big it is, what it smells like, what mammal or species it is, if they can prey on that species or not. So they call it a Jacobson's gland because it's helping them find out what is out there, who is out there, and how many. Does anyone get where I'm going with this? It matters because if Satan is a serpent and he eats dust, and we as humans in our nature are dust, this season if we walk in our flesh, we are walking in the dust and the serpent is following our trail. The serpent is making a game plan based on what you're listening to six hours a day. Are you listening to something that's honoring the Lord? Are you listening to ESPN? Are you listening to Joe Rogan or your Bible app? Are you listening to things that are gratifying Satan or Christ himself? If we're walking in the flesh, the devil is literally coming up with a game plan behind us saying, I know their habits now. I know what they do in the mornings. I know what they do when they're alone. And he's tasting the flesh. He is tasting what's around them. Church, I'm telling you, this is a strategy for 2022. The devil hasn't changed. The devil hasn't changed. He is still after people that he can trip up and grab a hold of if they're walking in the flesh. So let me ask you something before we get intimidated by that slippery serpent, that sneaky snake. Let me ask you these questions. Who is omnipresent? Who is omniscient? And who is omnipotent? Not the devil. I said, not the devil. Only God is all those. Only God holds the power in His hands. Only God knows all things at all times. Only God is at all places at all times. But Satan has babies that he sends out and says, go scope out the Martinez house. Go scope out the Zuniga house. Tell me what you find. Go scope out the Jones, see what they're doing. Let's see if they're arguing this week. Let's see if they're walking in the dust this week. So, we know that the enemy is just simply a dust-eating serpent. We shouldn't fear him, we should fear the Lord. He has the ability to do whatever he wants with us. But let me tell you this, when the enemy attempts to intimidate you this season... You remind them of who God is. I know for some of us, we've already seen hell break loose in our homes this year. Some of you are probably experiencing it with your kids, maybe at work, maybe at home. But when the enemy comes to intimidate you and say, man, this year you thought was going to be the best year for you. You thought you were going to have everything you wanted. You remind them, no, I might not see it now, but this is what I know. I serve God, the creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The all-consuming fire, the chief cornerstone, the chief shepherd, that's who I serve. I serve the almighty God, the most high God, and Satan, you are nothing compared to him. You can't even be compared on a scale to my God, Satan. 
And I'm not saying we're not ever going to step off and walk in the dust, in the flesh. I'm saying that when we know we're there, we have to change course and say, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I can't act this way. I can't talk this way anymore. I can't respond this way. I'm responding in the flesh. We have to change that so that we're walking in the Spirit. So here's this. We, we must walk, talk, respond, and pray in the Spirit. I know this is a new concept for a lot of you. You're not, you're not taking anything off to jump in the spirit realm. All you're doing is removing yourself from your fleshly desires and saying, God, instead of doing this, I'm going to do this other thing. Instead of responding with a few curse words, I'm going to pray for that person instead. I'm going to have compassion for that angry customer that just threw these french fries at my face. I'm going to have compassion on these people that keep talking about other people because, Lord, you love them. And I want them to know who you are. So we respond differently. This is a conversation that that Jesus was having with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. There's dust. But that which is born of the Spirit is what? Is spirit. I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but are you born again? Do you know that you're born again? Let me ask you this. Does your family know that you're born again? Do your peers at work know that you're born again? If you are born again, you are a new creation, we should all know you're born again. And if you're not, and if you don't know, that's fine. We'll make an invitation at the end of this to be born again and to be sons of the Spirit, sons and daughters of the Spirit of of God. But to walk in the Spirit, you also need to feed your spirit. John 6, verse 53, Jesus is talking about His flesh being the bread and His his blood being the juice, this this blood that renews us. And he says in verse 53, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You want to be fed in your spirit? You go back to the Word. You go back to the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me up. As soon as you wake up in the morning, God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. As soon as that alarm clock goes off and you hit snooze 30 times, when you finally wake up, You say, Lord, I need you this morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Lead me. Lead me with my children. Lead me as they're making me angry and I'm dropping them off at school. Holy Spirit, lead me that I do what I'm supposed to do. He said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You want to live in the spirit, you have to go to Jesus. You have to go to the word every day. Every day. If you need coffee in the morning to wake up, you need the word as well to wake up your spirit. Well, I can't, get, I can't go without my chipotle. Well, guess what? You can't go without the living bread of life. Walking in the Spirit means walking in revelation. Listen, the Holy Spirit can reveal so much to you, 
But when you're walking around dead to the Spirit, you don't even know what attacks are coming to your house. I'm telling you, this is a supernatural season, church. A very supernatural season. It's highly active in the spiritual. But if you're just walking like this, God is good, Jesus is good, He forgives me, we're not seeing anything. When we walk in the Spirit, there is a revelation. We see where the enemy is going to next. We see where he's working. Look at, look at what Jesus told Simon Peter. This was in Caesarea Philippi. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. This is after they, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you guys say that I am? Who do they say I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jay-Z. Some say you're George Bush. They probably didn't even know these names, right? I'm making these things up. And so they, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I want to know it from your mouth. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, listen to this, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. If Peter was not walking in the Spirit, he couldn't have had that revelation. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I love that. Some of us are praying for answers and the Lord is saying, if you just had a revelation, you'd see it. If we had a revelation, we'd see. We'd know what the tactics of the enemy are and we'd know what the solution of the Spirit was. He goes on to tell him in verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen to this. This goes hand in hand with warfare. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. When does it come? After there's revelation, after you're walking in the Spirit. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Does anyone want to bind up some things? You see some family curses going around? Family conflict? You want to to bind up the spirit of divorce in your family? You can't do it walking in the flesh. Church, you can't do it walking in the flesh. You can't do it walking in dust and feeding the snakes. You have to do it in the spirit. So this year, we can either decide to walk in, in the flesh or walk in the spirit. The choice is yours. The choice is yours every single day. I'm going to show you. You can read this message practically in Romans 7, 8, and 9. But here's an excerpt from Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who walk in the dust cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, praise God, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's a worse feeling to ever hear that we never had belonged to the Lord. Does anyone want to belong to Him? We've got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to be children of the Spirit of God. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen to that. Even though we're dust, the spirit gives us life in our mortal bodies. We're dust. Satan's a dust-eating serpent, but we cannot feed the snakes this season. Parents, I'm telling you, I'm telling you as a pastor's son that things were finally revealed afterwards. You, you better practice what you preach and not be praying just at the dinner table. You can have conversations for hours with other people and have a 10-second prayer with the Lord. That's not going to cut it this year. And the best thing you could say is not to your children yelling, it's to the Lord in secret. There's good news. There's good news. We know that Satan is a serpent, but guess what? We forgot to read the hope of Genesis chapter 3, that Jesus crushed Satan's head. Jesus crushed Satan's head. Is anyone excited about that? Amen. Amen. Not only did he crush it, he did it exactly like Scripture said. You see, crucifixions were pretty common in Jesus' time. And they found the only crucified man's heel in all of Israel, in all Judea, and there was one guy named Yohanan, which means John. They found his ankle, and they assumed that the nail was still in his heel. And they'll show you some photos. They assumed that the nail was still in his heel because it must have been a Sabbath, and they had to remove his body from the cross, and they couldn't get the nail out of his bone fast enough. This goes to show you that the crucifixion scene looked a little differently. A nail was driven through the heel to keep the person on the pole or on the tree. And in Israel, they say that the Romans wouldn't have gone and bought some four-by-fours from Home Depot or Lowe's. They were going to use whatever the Judeans had. And so more than likely, they were crucified on olive trees. And they were placed on the tree, and there was a nail between their heels, just like you see there. And more than likely, their arms were crossed overhead, and the nail was gone through the wrist. Why is this important? Because we have to remember the Messianic prophecy, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Does anyone remember which, which place Jesus was crucified on? Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The place of the skull. Genesis 3.15. You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Jesus did exactly what Genesis 3 said the Messiah would do. This is the hope that we have. If you keep reading the, the theme of the serpent in scriptures, you'll find yourself in, in Revelation 12, and I wish I had time to really go in what I want to cover. But it's the story of the woman and the dragon. 
the woman and the dragon in Revelation chapter 12, that's a mistranslation. Dracon is a Greek, but it just means a large or great serpent. And it's the story of Genesis chapter 3 and the story of this messianic prophecy being fulfilled. And I love that Brother Armando in the transition read what it says. Verse 11, and they, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. You want to know what it means to walk in the Spirit? That means dying to your flesh every day. That means waking up to the Holy Spirit every day. That means asking Him for help and counsel in every decision that you make. Every decision that you make. 